Good, good morning, everyone. Uh, for those of you that don't know me, my name is Dave. And yeah, it's, it's, it's just a privilege to be here with you this morning. And wasn't that an awesome time of worship? Uh, just, just experiencing God's presence and His love. And, you know, God's so amazing. What I love about worshiping God is we come into His presence and God doesn't just sit back, but He comes down and He speaks to us and He lifts us up. And it's, it's really amazing. So this morning, we're going to continue on the uh, story of Jonah, and we're going to look at that. And, you know, I just really believe that God wants to do something awesome here this morning. Um, and I believe that from the moment we start our Christian journey, God wants us to have a willingness to change. That's what repentance is all about. And God is taking us on a journey where he's making us more and more Christ-like each step of the way. And I believe when we lose, lose that, uh, that willingness to change, it stops God's work in our, in our lives. And I, I just want to encourage you this morning, as you hear the word, that you'd really just open your hearts and be willing to change because it's not a bad thing. What God has for us is so much better. So that's just my encouragement for you this morning. Now, one of the cool things about every nation, which I really like, as a spiritual family, is that we have churches around the world in many nations. I should have probably checked the number, but in many, many nations around the world. And in two weeks, we're going to have uh, Pastor Wolfie from the church in London come and share with us, which is so awesome. Um, and I don't know how many of you have been to the city of London, but one of the things that Pastor Wolfie says is that city of London, the city of London is the greatest city in the world. Uh, yeah, I know it's quite subjective, but anyway. Um, but I think most of us here over a certain age have done the South African London pilgrimage. Am I right? Have, have many people gone? And it, I don't know, it's one of those expectations to go and see the big wide world. You go out to the city of London. And obviously, it's a place where um, so much is happening. There's so many different cultures, so many different things. And there's this real sense of freedom in the city of London. Um, and then you go on the tube, um, and then you realize how um, hundreds of people can sit in a confined space and not actually look at one another. One of the things I find quite interesting about London, actually, to tell you another funny story, I was, I was at a wedding yesterday. And we were talking about brying in London and just how dire the brying there was. And uh, apparently, from an English perspective, and I do apologize to the English people, but my mother's English, so I can get away with it. But one of the main things is, is pork sausages, brying them here, or, well, brying them in London. And I remember the one time I was actually, actually at a bry here, I think it was with Eugene and some other guys, and... I went to the shop, and they didn't have any borovos left, and I brought pork sausages. And for the rest of the evening, I was like ostracized. They looked at me with scorn, or probably more with pity. But I, I think the, the wiser ones of us went to London and came back with some money. But, yeah, London is a great city. It's got an amazing history. Now, for our purposes of our story today with Jonah, we're going to look at another great city, which the Bible calls a great city, which is the city of Nineveh. Now, unfortunately, the city of Nineveh has a bit more of a dubious past uh, than the city of London. Um, 
Nineveh was first established by a hunter called Nimrod. And what the name Nimrod means is let us rebel. So that's a great start. And, the, and I was reading about Nimrod. It says that he was a great hunter against God, meaning almost opposed to God. And he was actually the person that started Nineveh. And he was the king of Nineveh. And he was actually the person who, who, who led the rebellion at the Tower of Babel. I never realized that. So this was a city as well that was famous in the ancient world because it was a center of worship for Ishtar. And that was the fertility goddess. So that means it was a very raunchy place. Say no more. This, this was a city that was also known for its witchcraft, its prostitution, and of course, violence. And we know that, you know, uh, Nineveh was the Assyrian capital. And the Assyrians were brutal, man. They used to go out and do things like Ricky mentioned, skin their enemies alive. And, and really be brutal, and the nations were scared of them. But what I love about this story this morning is that God did something amazing in this city. And oftentimes when we look at terrible places in the world that are so dark, we feel hopeless. But what I love about this story is that God did something absolutely amazing in the darkest of places at that time. And that's really what I want to focus on this morning. So I'm going to just read our text now, but before I do, I just want to pray for us this morning, and I want to ask that you just bow your heads with me, and I'll pray for us. Father, I just want to pray that you do something amazing in our hearts today. As you did something amazing in the, in the city of Nineveh, you changed the hardest of people, and you caused this massive turning to you, a turning of the troublemakers, people that seem so far from you. And the last people that seem like they could actually listen to your voice and hear your voice. But through your power, you brought them back to you, God. And we want to take this as an encouragement, God. And won't you lead us and guide us this morning and speak to our hearts about how you can still do amazing things today and how we can be a part of your work. In Jesus' name, amen. Cool. So you can follow me in your Bibles or your handheld devices, or you can look up on the screen. Um, I'm going to be reading from Jonah 3. Okay. You see, that's the thing. I, I, I'm a big fan of handheld devices and phones because I think it's so much quicker than, than, than looking the old way. But um, I think it's nice to have a, a handheld Bible too, just in case I get some comments afterwards. <laughs> Joking. Um, so I'm going to start reading. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying arise, saying, arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh, according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days in breadth. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey, and he called out, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth, from the greatest of them to the least. The word of the Lord reached the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself in sackcloth, and sat in ashes, which is basically dust. 
and he issued a proclamation and published it through Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth, and let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hand. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. When the Lord saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. So, yeah, that's an amazing piece of scripture, you know, just God doing something amazing. And he's really the hero of the story. I want you to imagine for a minute with me what it was like to be a young Ninevite in the city of Nineveh. I kind of see it as a young prodigal who would have gone to the city. And almost like going to London, he went to the city with a sense of freedom. I want to go to a place where no one tells me what to do where I can do what I want to, and I want to experience life. I think Nineveh in, in those days was a bit different from London. It was more like the city of Ibiza, kind of like an old school Ibiza. And I don't know if you people know Ibiza, but I was watching a documentary on it the other day. Ibiza is basically the party capital of the world. People go there from all around the world to have this amazing club lifestyle, you know, where there's all these mega clubs the top DJs in the world, uh, you know, there's a huge amount of, of vices that are going on there, um, you know, and they say it's one of those cities that if people, you know, young people go and they don't really know what they're doing, it kind of chews them up and spits them out. They get into serious trouble um, because there's so much freedom there. There's no one there to tell you, don't do that, don't do that, but it's a place of absolute freedom. And I imagine for a, a young Ninevite who's come to the city of Nineveh in that time, Nineveh was that kind of place where, wow, you can try out anything. No one cares. You can have access to anything. Nothing is off limits. And, you know, people, rather than try and stop you, probably cheer you on. And that young Ninevite, I can imagine him going to the city and, and thinking, man, this is so amazing. You know, going to all kinds of different you know, probably watching some illegal fighting thing. You know, who knows what kind of places he went to. It was renowned for its violence. Um, you know, who knows where he went, but probably to the old version of clubs or whatever and experience the most... The mo- and then he fell over. Yeah, sorry, is, it, um, is everything all right? Um, and... So, sorry about that. <laughs> I just lost my train of thought. But for, for, for the young Ninevite, you can imagine this place being an absolute, starting as a place of absolute freedom. And I can do what I want and pursuing this freedom and pursuing peace and joy. And I can imagine at some point, like all young prodigals, he got to the place where you start to realize a few truths about life. The first truth you realize, which I believe every prodigal experiences, is that by pursuing freedom and pursuing your own way, 
and trying to find joy in just no one telling you what to do. Your pursuit of vices and absolute freedom actually leads you more into bondage. And the more you pursue these things, the more these things trap you. And the irony of it is you seek this kind of freedom away from God. I'm going to do what I want. No one's going to tell me. And that's what freedom is. But more and more you go into a bondage with these vices. The second thing I realized, I think what probably happened with the young Ninevites is he started become, to become disillusioned with life because he realized that the peace and the joy he sought by doing these things, it was a momentary peace and a momentary joy. And the next day, he probably felt even more empty, more ill at peace inside himself. And, and I believe what started to happen to him, like with all young prodigals, be it men or women, is the more broken inside he became, the less peace, the less joy he had, the harder he became on the outside. And the more of an attitude and the more he pushed people away. And I believe that be- happens to, to all young Ninevites, all young prodigals, when they start to become disillusioned with life. And they don't want people to see what is on the inside. So they create a hard exterior that keeps people away and makes people think they're doing all right. Now you can imagine one day that this young Ninevite is walking through the city center. He's walking to a public marketplace. And the next minute he sees a rather strange looking man. Even though they get foreigners there, they don't get many of these Hebrew type of foreigners And he sees this strange-looking man there. And this man is gathering people as though he's going to declare a message. And he hears some of the people sniggering. He hears them sniggering, oh, well, this is one of those Hebrews. You know, they're so exclusive. They don't hang out with us. They don't participate in these things. And he, he also hears, you know, he knows about the Hebrews, that these are the guys with the crazy God. They have this, this absolute you know, really scary God, amazing God that took them out of the land of Egypt and took them. And there's all these legendary stories about the amazing things that this God did. And Jonah hears that this man, sorry, the young Ninevite hears that this man who is standing there is going to deliver a message from God. So he, out of curiosity, gathers with the other people. He's also trying to make some jokes there as well. <laughs> look at his funny clothes. Look at his tassels, you know. <laughs> and then the next minute, that foreigner who's Jonah opens up his mouth and he says, yet 40 days and Nineveh will be overthrown. And the next minute, that young man, that young Ninevite hears those words and it cuts him to his heart. And it has this effect on him that he realizes, he just has this inner perception that this message is from the real God, from the living God. And it cuts him to his heart. And all the joking from the crowd stops and people become silent. And there's this conviction that falls upon the crowd. And they realize that our lifestyle, what we've been doing is is leading us to destruction. Yet 40 days and Nineveh will be overthrown. And people start looking at one another in panic and and worrying, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? Is this disaster coming? And this young man 
he goes home, this young Ninevite, thinking, what must I do? What must I do to be right, to show that I'm sorry and I want to change? And then the next minute, later that day, he receives a royal decree, which is from the king, saying that everyone needs to fast. And, and if you've got any animals as well, they need to fast too, which shows you how urgent it was. So you can imagine our young Ninevite putting on sackcloth, which is basically a very itchy cloth, and lying in the dust and fasting. And then he's got a little dog because he's not, he's not that rich, but he's got a little dog or a little goat, and he puts a sackcloth on that as well. It sounds strange, but, you know, I was reading about this. It sounds so weird. I mean, imagine making your dogs fast and stuff. But the people were so desperate to show their repentance that they did that and he did that. And he waited there. Just imagine this young Ninevite waiting and thinking, is disaster coming? Is it coming? And then seeing that, no, because of their repentance and hearing from other people, disaster hasn't come and disaster has been averted. The reason I wanted to tell this story from the perspective of the young Ninevite is because at one time I was a young Ninevite. I was in a place where my life was, you know, I was quite happy in my life. I thought what I was pursuing was right and I'd become disillusioned with life. But like that young Ninevite, that prodigal, I didn't realize that my life was on a journey to destruction that my life was headed to destruction. If I continued in my way, cut off from God and died one day, I would be eternally separated from God. And I believe, like that young Ninevite, I was ready for the message. We see the way the Ninevites received the message. And the Bible says that they believed God. And we know that when Abraham believed God, it was credited to him as righteousness. So I believe we see the repentance of the people that they, it wasn't just, oh, sorry, God, and then they carried on as they normally did. There was a radical change. And, and the fact that they even made their, their pets fast shows how serious they were about this. When a young Jonah, uh, sorry, when I was a Ninevite and a Jonah came into my life, I wasn't ready the first time for the message. And I remember the words they said to me that cut me to the heart. It wasn't an amazing gospel presentation, the most amazing sermon. With the people of Nineveh, it was eight words. Maybe that's why it took a little bit longer, but for me it was just four words, which was, David, where are you at spiritually? Was that five? Where are you? <laughs> the way they said it. I... I, I I think Brian started the trend when he said something this morning about, I'm not going to count at this time. Okay, six. Yeah, okay. It's getting worse. Less than eight words. Less than eight words. But the thing was, I imagine with the people of Nineveh, explanations came later, but God used that statement. And I had a friend who came like a foreigner. I had two friends, actually, who came into the nightclubs who came to the group of macho friends who were doing all kinds of naughty stuff. They were, and, and, the, and they came, and they, they carried this message. And there was a time when I was ready to receive it. It took years, but I was ready to receive it. And when I heard it, I believed God. And my life turned around and changed. 
Each one of you were, was a Ninevite at one stage. Each one of you. I know there's people like me here, sitting here today, that were also on quite a wayward path that we could easily say, okay, you are prodigal. You're on a wild path and you did a lot of things wrong. And I think God, God is awesome the way he always takes naughty ones and he turns them around almost to show his power. And for the testimony to be, to be great, you know, they thought the last person you'd expect to do it is the one that actually goes first, which is quite amazing. But I also believe, you know, there's those of you that grew up in, you know, your dad being a pastor or whatever, you know, you were also young Ninevites. There's many people who grew up in Christian homes who are so far from the Lord, and no one is born Christian. You know, we are all, we're all, the Bible says that we were born in sin, and there's no one that's righteous, not one. And one of the massive problems we have in this culturally Christian nation is people believing they're Christian because their parents were Christian. Jesus said that unless a man is born again, unless he is born from above, he will not see the kingdom of heaven. So I believe that each one of you, you might think your testimony isn't that strong because you didn't go, you weren't in a gang, you weren't, uh, you know, whatever. But there was a moment where you were going away from God and someone had to give you that message for you to repent and believe God and you did. And that's why you're sitting here today. I believe that the city of Nineveh is really representative of all the prodigal sons and daughters. And you might have heard the way I've constructed the story about the young Ninevite is kind of to weave the story of the prodigal son in there. But as I say, prodigal son, daughter, take it as you will. You're all imagining your own story anyway. But each one of us takes the life that God has given us, the life that he's intended to represent him here, to love like him, to represent his love, and we squander it on our own selfish ambitions. And that's what the story is about. We do that, and it takes us to a place away from God, away, to his, away from his salvation. And God's mission is that he wants to call all of us back from that prodigal living of using our lives for his glory and to display his love. God's mission is not to lose any of the prodigals. I, I love it the way it's, it says in 2 Peter 3, 9, it says, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness, but he is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. And that's God's heart. He takes no delight in destroying the wicked, and with the people of Nineveh, yes, they were wicked. He was hating what they were doing. But he sent someone to warn them because he didn't want them to be destroyed. And it's the same, you know. I, I find it so amazing. And one of my, my favorite thing when I was involved with prison ministry is you had people that the world had totally written off, that they'd done stuff that was unforgivable, and yet God's love reached out to them. If they turned and repented, God was willing to take them. And that's what I love about God's heart. The amazing thing is that God, with such an important mission, is God wants us to be involved with the mission. He really wants us to be a part of it. 
it's very quiet. <laughs> Just telling you guys, you make me a bit nervous, but anyway. <laughs> but I believe that with this mission, any kind of mission has a cost to it. There's a, there's a, there's a cost in fulfilling it. And first, I want to speak. What we learn from the book of Jonah is that there is a cost to our disobedience, to our not being a part or not being used by God for this mission of his. The first thing is the fact is we can clearly see from the book of Jonah that when Jonah rejected God's mission, it was detrimental to his relationship with God. The meaning of that is that if, if you're not a part of God's mission, which is intended for us, it's negative for your relationship to him. And sometimes we separate our relationship with God with the mission. And we can't do that. It's, it's, it's one and the same coin. It is the same thing. But more than that, I believe it is what is the cost of us not fulfilling the mission? Well, the cost is that there's people that God wants to repent. There's people in your, your you know, people at your work, in your, with your friends, with your family. And God wants them to repent. He wants them not to continue on the way they're going, but he wants them to come back to him safely in his arms and he wants them to be sons and daughters. What often happens though with evangelism is the way we try and motivate people, and I've seen it again and again and again, is I will say, look, this is God's heart. It's so amazing you know, he loves people so much and we feel terribly guilty. And we think, oh, we've missed the boat totally. And, you know, we almost do it in a way that we feel motivated now out of a, a sense of duty or a sense of guilt. But I believe that that's not what God has for us. If you look at the book of Jonah, and we're going to look at that next week, the lesson that God teaches Jonah is God really wants us, as, as well as Jonah at that time, to be bound to his mission, to be connected with his mission in a special way. And at this point, I'm going to luckily go to an illustration, and I want to ask the, um, the help of my lovely assistant, my beautiful wife, Lindy, if you could give her a hand. Okay, you can just put one on there. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah, this, this is, um, we'll see, this is marriage 101, we'll see how it goes. No, 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 that'll go wrong. So the cool thing about this is, is actually this week on last, last week, Wednesday, Wednesday this week, it was our third year wedding anniversary, so which is awesome. And I, I think if you could just pray for Lindy, because she has to put up with me, so um, she needs all the strength she can get. But I believe that God wants us to be bound to his mission in a special way. And what happens, I'm going to take this off, is that when we, I think when we do something just because we have to do something or just because we, we, we think we should or we feel guilty, what happens is we start to do it for a while, but then we get, um, we face opposition. There's a cost to it. I promise you, if you're going to share the gospel and you're going to do God's work, you're going to look foolish. People are going to mock you. You're going to lose your dignity. And there's a cost with it. There's a cost. It's not easy. And 
if we are not bound to the mission, what happens is that when we experience this opposition, we experience this cost, this hardship, it's so easy to walk away. And then what happens is we need someone to kind of make us feel guilty again, and we do it a bit, and it kind of falls away. And, and we talk about it all the time. Oh, we should do it. We should do it. We should do it. Really, we should do it, but we don't actually. Even sometimes we sing about it. And that's not a jive, but it, it happens. And we start to, oh, we better. But I believe that this mission of God's to reach the prodigals. We need something to bind it. Something to bind, sorry, to bind us to the mission. Now, when you look at a marriage, okay, and I, I really better be careful of my words here today. So I'm just, my dad is a man of wisdom over there. So if I see anything on his face resembling like, don't do it. Yeah, I know, I've stepped over. But if you take the example of marriage, in marriage, you know, as we are two wonderfully perfect people, we never fight, we're Christian and you know, I've, I've got a humble personality all the time. Lindy, Lindy doesn't, you know, she's very chilled as well. We're not fiery characters at all. So anyway, but, but what happens is naturally in a relationship, you have two different people with two different ideas, both right at the same time. And, and what ends up happening is, is, is you try and go together, but things happen and you, you, you fight and you argue and it pushes you apart. And it's hard. Being married is hard. It's, it's easier just to have someone who agrees with you all the time, does that. You're right, my love, all the time. Yeah. But, but what ends up happening is you drift away. And if there's nothing to hold you, you end up falling away. But the thing is, what holds us together, what keeps us coming back, is the fact that we are bound by love. And no matter how much we fight, and I think, oh, I can't do this anymore. I get pulled back. <laughs> I was like, why do I do this to myself? Why, why do I do this to myself? I'm wrong again, and I have to apologize for nothing. And out I go. And back I come, because the love keeps on drawing me back. And, and Paul said this. He said, you know, when he talks about the ministry of, of reconciliation, he said, the love of God constrains me. And oftentimes they translate it wrong and say compel, like a push. But it actually constrains. It means it ties you. The love of God ties you to the message. And no matter how difficult it is, no matter how, and I'm not meaning you. I'm talking about the mission, my love. With Lindy, it's easy. Okay, at this point, my love, I think you should sit down for my safety. The point is, God comes through in the most incredible way, but there's obstacles we have to overcome. And there's sometimes failures. It feels like a failure, although I don't believe ever stepping out is a failure. But I believe God, his mission is so important that he wants us to be bound to it, that no matter what the cost is, no matter how difficult it is, the love of God keeps us going back. And we're going to hear next week about God's heart for people that he sees incredible value with people, and we need to do the same. I believe that God wants to do something amazing in 
your workplace, with your friends, with your family. God wants to show you his power and he wants to show you how he can touch and turn lives around. And one of the things about this story about Jonah, the city of Nineveh, was the fact that God can turn around any heart. These were the hardest people, hardest exterior, and God reached them. And it just took took eight simple words. Here we go again. It took eight simple words or one phrase, and it cut the people to the heart, and God's power reached them. And I believe God had been preparing the people of Nineveh for a long time. And God has been preparing friends, family members. I was even shocked last night with someone who's, you know, I thought was a total atheist. And, you know, just before we left a wedding we were at last night, he said, you know what, Uh, not tomorrow, but the next time I want to come to church. I almost fell, fell over. But God is at work. He's working with those people you think that are beyond his reach. He's working there and he's preparing their hearts. The thing is, though, God is looking for someone to send. He's looking for the Jonas to go. They will take this message, not do it perfectly, but it's just about the going. Even trying whatever, God will use whatever you say. It's not about almost what you say. Obviously, it's good to be able to explain the message, but sometimes God will use a simple phrase to do the most incredible work. And for me, I don't know if, if Pierre will cover this next week, but for me, one of the saddest things about the story of Jonah is after this incredible thing has happened, God has turned the hardest city on its head and turned everyone around from the greatest to the least. Jonah moans at God and says, oh, I knew they'd do this. But imagine he'd said to God, where to next, Lord? Where to next? Where could God have sent him? Imagine Jonah being sent to this nation and that nation. They they call him the revivalist prophet. I believe that we should have that attitude of where to next, Lord. And God's going to take us on an incredible adventure in our workplaces with our friends and family. And the results are all up to God. But what I love about this story is, is obviously Jonah is the story about second chances. It's not about doing it perfect. We all make mistakes and we might have missed it a little bit. I've missed it. And I believe today is a chance where we can come back to God like Jonah did. And we say, and he, and he gets a second chance at it. I'm sure God even gives third and fourth chances. But where we've maybe been putting off the mission, I want us today, I'm going to pray for us. And I I want you to open your heart. And I believe God wants to put his love in you for other people to see their value that will bind you to the mission forever. But we have to be willing to change. We have to say, God, I'm going to let you do what you want to do to my heart. So I just want to ask that you'll close your eyes with me now. And I'm just going to pray. And I just really feel like I don't necessarily think it's about responding like necessarily standing up or whatever, but I believe all it takes is you saying, yes, Lord, in my heart. Or almost saying that phrase in my heart, where to next? So God, I, I just want to thank you so much that 
you are on a mission to reach prodigals, people who are feeling disillusioned with life, people who've become hard on the outside. You want to reach them because you love them so much. And we love your heart for that, God. It's amazing. And we want to be Christ-like. We want to be, you know, we want to carry the same heart and be bound to your mission with love. So I want to ask God that you'll do that. And we want to say this morning, God, where to next? We want to go on an adventure with you and see you do incredible things in the hardest of hearts and what appear like the, the toughest of people. We want to see you turn them around. So I thank you for that, God. And I also want to call out today, if there's anyone here who's a prodigal, who they feel like they still haven't come to that place where they've come home to God, I also want to invite you this morning to come back to God. And the Bible says that if you, um, if you believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead and you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you will be saved. And that's all it takes. So I thank you, Lord, for those people that want to come back to you today. So, Father, I just thank you for, for the work that you want to do today. I thank you just for touching every heart and thank you for taking us out on this amazing adventure of yours to reach the prodigals. Yeah. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name. Yeah.